So we're starting a, a brand new series this, this, uh, today, and if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 1, we'll be there in a few minutes, but before we get going, I wanted to um, just tell you a quick story of what ha- something that happened over the holidays uh, for us. We, we were on a long road journey um, over the holidays. We drove to Georgia. We drove to Atlanta, Georgia, and we do it every two years. And with, with two small children, it is a wonderful trip, driving that far in the car for that many hours. Um, so Jackson, Mississippi is like our halfway point, and we always stop, and we stay at this hotel, and we're in downtown Jackson, Mississippi, and um, we'd already had dinner, but as often happens for me is I'll eat two dinners, and so I... Uh, said to my family, we need to go find some more food. I'm still kind of hungry after all that driving. And uh, so we um, pull up Google, we find a restaurant, and we go walk like three blocks down to this restaurant, and it's this like old school diner in downtown Jackson, Mississippi. And we walk in, we had to get the food to go because we had our dog with us, and you can't bring dogs into restaurants, at least that's what they say. And uh, so we didn't want to do that. So we had our dog with us, and so my kids and my wife are out on the sidewalk, and I go into the restaurant, and uh, I can already tell that the people that own this restaurant are just a bit different. Like, they're just super friendly and just over the top. And I was like, we're definitely in the South. And this lady, she's just kind of talking my ear off, and she's ringing me up, and we're getting the order and everything. And, um, and, and so this restaurant was, was her dad's restaurant. This is an old, like, in-the-family restaurant, one of those kind of places. Uh, the kind of place that if you ate there every day, you might gain a little weight, all right? That kind of a restaurant. And uh, so we got our food, and, um, and this couple was just the most hospitable couple I'd ever seen that owned a restaurant. And so the owner, the, the guy, the, the, the husband, he sees my family outside and goes out to talk to them, and he's talking about dogs and all this other kind of stuff, and he's just chatting up with my kids and my wife and all that. His wife's inside chatting up with me and just talking about, where are y'all from? That kind of stuff. God bless y'all. You know, that, that whole thing um, that they do in the South. And uh, so we get our food, and we're just like, this is the nicest couple. So we took a little picture of them before we left and said, hey, thanks for your hospitality. And this is, this is them. Um, aren't they just the cutest thing, right? And uh, so um, they own this restaurant. And, and so we're walking down the street like three blocks now. And, and I hear someone down, in the, um, down the street say, you forgot your pie. And I was like, what? So I turn around like, oh, I did order pie, didn't I? And so I go back down to the restaurant, and she has given me, I ordered one piece of pie, and she's like, you know, because we forgot, we'll just put an extra piece in there for you, right? Gives me two pieces of pie for the price of one. And so we, we take off down the street, and we're walking back to the hotel. Next thing we know, um, there's this car, and the streets, it's like a ghost town in Jackson, downtown Jackson. Like, no one's out at night. We're kind of getting freaked out, like, should we be out here tonight? <laughs> and uh, this car just pulls up next to us on the sidewalk a few blocks later, and we're like, what's, what's going to happen? What is this? And uh, this hand comes out, and the guy is like, you forgot your salad dressing. <laughs> yes, this happened. I'm like, what is this? And so we're like kind of laughing, like, oh, thanks. It's, you drove your 
Mercedes little mini SUV down here to give us salad dressing. Okay, you get the salad dressing. And then uh, we're just kind of laughing about it. And we're like, that's just crazy. Who does stuff like that? And, uh, and we walk another block. And then Landon, like, kind of turns. He's like, look, Landon's getting worried now. He's like, are they going to follow us again? What is this? What kind of place is this? And, uh, and he sees the guy, like, circle back around. And I'm like, oh, no, this is it. Landon's like, he's coming back. He's coming back. And I'm thinking, like, this is when it's going to happen. He's going to pull out an Uzi and be like, die. Right? It's going to happen. And uh, so he, um, we're kind of laughing, like, you know, what is it this time? You know, and he goes, he's like, well, I was driving over by our church, and I had this leftover uh, baklava, and thought you guys might want to take it on your trip. And we're like, we're not really, we're like, thank you so much. You guys are so kind. You really didn't have to do that. Hiding the kids, you know. And uh, so we get the bag and we're like, thank you. And we're kind of laughing and waving, waving the guy. And that was the end of it, right? That was the last thing he did for us, okay? But when I started thinking about this family, I'm like, man, this has, you know, hospitality, that kind of hospitality requires great courage. And I don't know about you, but whenever I go to those kinds of places, if I'm an HEB or at a restaurant, usually I'm pretty introverted. I'm just like, just give me the thing to sign. I'll sign it. And we, this deal is done, okay? But for these people, hospitality is obviously a huge thing. And getting involved in someone's life, albeit creepy, is, is a big deal for them. And I started thinking about this theme of courage and how, how real hospitality requires great courage. And I saw a lot of courage in this couple as they just would enter people's lives um, in these kinds of ways. And so this theme of courage is a huge theme that we're going to see um, in the book of Joshua. And I know um, this is a time of year that, as Dan said, many people do the resolution thing. Everyone's doing resolutions. and everyone It's generally a positive time of year, New Year's. Everyone's upbeat. Everyone's going to tackle the world. Everyone's going to take on a challenge. And everyone is fairly positive for the most part. But what I find in myself around this time of year is this, this weirdness. Like, I, I'm not one of those people that does that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, um, a bit more melancholy in that regard. And, and I find in myself, at least at my age, that New Year's brings a lot of fear and anxiety. And it's, it's weird seeing that, that number, like, 2018. I'm like, are you kidding me? 2018? Like, we're getting old. Like, all of us, not you guys so much just yet, but just wait. Just wait. But I'm not sure why this time of year brings about that kind of stuff for me. Um, but I've struggled with, I've mentioned, I've struggled before, told you before, I've struggled with, with fear and anxiety my whole life in some way. And every season of life is present with fear. I've seen that with, throughout my, my entire life. Uh, when I was seven, my brother and I were, like, painting with watercolors. You know, the cup that you make with the water, it gets real nasty, and there's a cup of water there, and you dip the watercolors in and all that. My brother goes, um, I dare you to drink that. And I was like, okay. So I drank it. And then I started thinking, like, ah, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. Maybe that was poisonous. And as a seven-year-old mind can contain these thoughts, 
I literally thought for two days I was just going to drop dead at any moment. I wasn't sure how poison worked. I was like, yeah, a couple hours will be dead. You know, but didn't know it was like a, that quick of a thing. And so I was fearful, and I had this anxiety, and I kept it a secret for three days. I'm sitting in class like, when's it going to happen? I'm just going to drop dead. And so because of this little event, later figure out, of course, that it wasn't that big of a deal. But because of this little event in my life when I was seven, this just sparked all these fears, like weird fears and anxieties as a kid that you don't even know where they're coming from. And this went into teen years, so I started being fearful of, you know, losing my salvation or how how, how I'm really even saved to begin with, those kinds of fears. Um, I had this, this fear of failure when it came to sports and academics. I would sit there and take foul shots and take penalty shots in soccer in my backyard. And if I'm on the line, if I'm in front of all the crowd, i got to make sure I succeed and not look like a failure. Academically, making sure my GPA was just where it was supposed to be. Uh, fearful of being rejected by colleges. Once in college, fearful of the future. What's going to happen now? Once I graduate, one of the biggest fears I had was a fear of public speaking. I mean, the irony, right? If someone said, hey, I want you to share a testimony in front of the youth group, I'd be like, no, I'm going to be absent that day. How do you know? I'm going to be sick. I plan on it. I had a fear of public speaking. Hated the idea. I was like, public speaking should not be a thing. Nobody should do that. And yet, God has his sense of irony. Fearful of not finding a wife. That was a big one for me. When I was in in college, I worked at this place that hosted lots of wedding receptions. And I was a waiter there. And so I worked these weddings. Every Saturday was was a big party. And most of them were drunken, like, not good situations. And uh, I would see these couples and families come in here and just get smashed at these wedding reception parties. And then I'd go home and I'd be thinking about, man, I'm, I'm doing this the right way, at least trying to. I'm trying to live pure. I'm trying to not engage in the party scene in the way that they are. And yet, like, where's my future wife? Like, where is she? And this kind of anger at God and bitterness towards God. Like, these people are doing it all wrong. And like, look at me. What about me, God? And so I had these, these kinds of fears. Where, where is she going to come from? And, and just when you think that um, these fears are gone, you have kids. Kids are a walking hazard all the time. So you have kids. Uh, I get fearful for my wife and my kids. You know, what if they get in an accident? What if I get in an accident? What if I get sick? What if they get sick? All these fears pop up. A couple years ago, my son um, had a fever. He was throwing up. And my first thought at that time, because this was a big deal at that time, your first thought as a parent, you're like, he's got a fever and throwing up. Maybe it's the Ebola virus, because that was a big thing a couple years ago. And I go have lunch at, at CTCS that week with my students, and I was saying, yeah, Landon's sick right now, throwing up, and one of the students was like, maybe he has Ebola. And I'm like, are you serious? Did you really just say that to me? 
So what do you do? You go home and you Google up Ebola virus, like, symptoms. And I was like, okay, no internal bleeding. We're fine. We'll be just fine, right? And so every season of life has these different kinds of fears. And I would bet that in this room, there are some people who are losing some sleep right now. And you've got some fears. I'm thinking about some of the seniors, that your life's going to change dramatically in about six, seven months. In a few months, your life's going to change dramatically. You're thinking about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, who you're going to meet. Some of you have fears about success, academics, relationships. You've got fears about, you know, parents. Maybe your parents aren't getting along right now, and you're worried about that. And there's just fear that's just consuming you, just a paralyzing fear. And the worst part about it is you feel like you can't share it with anybody, especially not in the church, because nobody can be honest in the church, right? And so while this talk about fear, because I want this, this series of Joshua, at the backdrop of this message, of this series, to, for you to be thinking about strength and courage, because these are big themes throughout the book of Joshua. And if you look at the rest of the Bible, fear is a big theme in the Bible. Because in the Gospels, what does Jesus often say? He often says these words to his disciples. They are, fear not. And so Jesus knows his disciples are often afraid. And he he seeks to to calm their fears. So in Joshua chapter 1, God assumes, here's the good news, God assumes they're scared. God assumes they're just frightened. And you'll see this theme in a moment. And I find great comfort in that, knowing that God just assumes that we're scared. He expects it. He just knows it. So my hope for the series is that you'll see, you'll come to see that courage is not what you think it is. Courage is not that you just, you know, push fear aside and you just rise up in this, these moments of courage. It's not what courage is. I hope that you'll come to see that throughout um, the study of this book. So look with me at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Here's the context. Moses and the Israelites were set free out of Egypt. You probably know the story. But instead of going straight into the promised land, what happened? They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because of their unbelief in God. And, of course, Moses' sin and not fully obeying God. So God does not allow the previous generation to enter into the promised land. So they had to die off before he would let them go in. And one of those people was Moses. So Moses himself was not allowed to go into the promised land. And now it's Joshua's turn to lead. He's going to be the new leader of Israel. So they're sitting here on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, about to cross into the promised land. And the promised land was not empty. There were people there that were going to be a big obstacle for them. And we'll cover some of that later on in the, um, in the series. But first, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, 
Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Who was this Moses? When these people thought of Moses, who did they think of? This was Moses, the great hero. This was the one who led them out of Egypt. This is the one who went before Pharaoh and pleaded for them um, on behalf of God before Pharaoh. This is the one who um, announced to Pharaoh the coming of the ten plagues. And these people started off seeing Moses as an Egyptian, remember? Then he became one of them because he was one of them. And so they see Moses as this great hero, the man who could seem to do anything in their eyes. And this is the one who is now dead. Numbers 12, verse 3 says that Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. I didn't know there was a humility contest, but Moses would apparently win if there was a contest of humility, which is kind of a weird contest to have. Anyway, you get the idea. They see Moses as this great leader. But if you look back on Moses' life, that's not how Moses started, remember? He didn't start as this, he didn't like come out of the womb as like, all right, give me something to lead, right? He wasn't that kind of a guy. But he was this um, very insecure and weak individual that God happened to use and do some great things with. And remember, when God first called him, what was Moses' response? His response was, who am I? I'm just a guy out here in the desert. They're not going to listen to me. If you remember God, like, they think of me as an Egyptian. Like, that's how I grew up as an Egyptian. Like, how, how, how am I going to lead these people? And God tells them what he's going to do through him, and so he's going to set the people free and these kinds of things. And Moses says, they still won't believe me, God. He thinks of this excuse. Look at Exodus um, chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So what's funny about this is I look at that, that state, the whole statement and I go, that verse looks pretty eloquent, doesn't it? <laughs> Moses says all this, like, I am slow of speech. Like, who talks like that, right? And, and so Moses made an excuse before God. I, I can't, I don't, I don't speak well. I'm not a good public speaker. I have fears, anxieties. I can't do that, God. And he's got this fear. And do you know, I bet if I were to survey the room, that fear of public speaking would be one of the biggest ones. In fact, you know how I know it's one of the biggest ones? Because it's actually shown through research that public speaking is people's greatest fear. The greatest fear is public speaking. And this goes back to, like, ancient history. In fact, there's a list that I I found that ranks um, fears. Number one, public speaking. For anybody, that's what it is. Uh, Number two is heights. Number three is a category of things. Bugs, snakes, other animals. Don't know what that is. Number four is drowning. Makes sense. Five is bloods and needles. 
combined. Blood and needles category. Next one is claustrophobia. Next one is flying, like in a plane, like not actually, people can't fly, but in a plane. Um, next one is strangers. Stranger danger. Your parents taught you well. Next one is crazy, zombies. It's a real fear, people. Some have it. Next one is darkness. Okay, darkness. Um, next one, clowns. People are afraid of clowns. All right? It's why McDonald's relegated the clown to the back of the restaurant. You don't see him anymore. He's, that's creepy. And lastly, ghosts. So those are people's fears. Now, you can, as, as the list gets, you know, down the list, it gets more and more like, okay, that's just kind of weird. That's just like, who, who cares about that? That's just like, you know, fantasy stuff. But number one on the list is what most of you have, which is a fear of public speaking. And Moses had the same fear that many of you in this room have. And it's the fear that I'm not going to perform well. I'm not going to do this right. I'm not going to be able to pull this off. And so human nature hasn't changed really one bit since God asked Moses to do um, what he asked him to do. And as he throws out his excuses, saying things like, you know, I can't speak. And, and if you read on in the passage, it's really funny because God sarcastically says to him, God sarcastically says to Moses, Moses, who made your mouth? God really says that in the text. Moses, who made your mouth? Moses is like, you. And so Moses is terrified at what God's asking him to do. He says, he still argues. He says, please send somebody else. Please send someone else. And remember, God then gives him Aaron, his brother, to be the, the mouthpiece for him. And so he finally goes and obeys. But here's what's really amazing is that Moses, instead of him being, he was fearful but he still went and did it. He still obeyed. After much arguing with God, he goes and, and does this, what God calls him to do. Remember, this is God talking directly to Moses. God uh, didn't really appear, but he appeared in the burning bush, of course. But God gives an audible voice to Moses saying, here's what you're to do. And Moses is still scared. I want you to think of your greatest fear. How many of us think that if God showed up in some audible or physical presence and told you to get over your fear, you picture yourself being like, oh, yeah, I totally got this. Like, God just commissioned me. And yet in this moment, Moses is still shaking in his sandals in spite of the fact that God has commissioned him. He's arguing with God. And so I think we overestimate ourselves. Look at Moses, and Moses still lacks confidence in spite of the fact that God's saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. I think we learn a couple of really important lessons with Moses. The first one is God's plans are not derailed by our abilities or inabilities. When God tells us to do something, don't ever let fear dictate your answer. Don't ever let fear give you a yes or a no. 
and all the fears, insecurities Moses had, you think God knew he had them? You think God, what if God would be like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right, Moses. I guess I didn't realize you had all those insecurities. I'll, I'll go find somebody else. That's not, that's not what God did. Like God, God, knew his inse- God knew what he was going to He's going to argue with him. So don't ever say no to something out of fear or insecurities. The second thing we learn in this text, this story, is leadership is both significant and insignificant at the same time. Leadership is important. Good leadership matters. I've seen some bad examples, and I'll tell you, it matters. But at the same time, we must not commit leadership idolatry where we think that someone has to have this exact personality profile in order to pull it off just right. I mean, there's gifting. Of course there's gifting. I'm not denying that. But when God looks for someone, he often just plucks somebody up and says, you know what, you're going to be, you're going to do this. And, and he, he commissions someone and gives them just what they need for the task at hand. So we can't commit, commit leadership idolatry. God did some great things through Moses, and people are asking, how do we replace Moses? I mean, Moses, this is Moses. How are we going to replace Moses? And so God brings about um, Joshua and says, this is going to be the guy that replaces Moses. And I know, I mean, I know the people must be thinking, but Moses, he's not replaceable. You can't just replace Moses. And they're having these, the people are having these fears about who's going to replace Moses. And I've seen this before where in my life, like when my youth pastor had to leave my church, that we all thought, who's going to replace Rob? Or when my mentor, Joe, in, when I was in college and he left the church I was a part of, Who's going to replace him? And look, the, the nature of high school ministry is that you guys are, are, every year we lose like a fourth of y'all to graduation, right? And so you have to understand this. That you, you can't commit leadership idolatry because most, a fourth of you guys graduate every year. And you'll move somewhere else and you're going to have to find other leaders in your college towns and commit to the church. And you'll be tempted to be like, yeah, but they're just not like that leader I had in high school. That, that one leader I had was just, they just really spoke to me. And I just, I liked how they led me. And so I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do the church anymore. So we can't commit leadership idolatry. So look down at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, to all, I'm like getting my words here, 
to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And if you read the rest of this chapter, you will see that Joshua never argued. He just did it. And I have to wonder that in the 40 years of of the wandering in the wilderness, if during that time, if Moses ever sat Joshua down and he ever, if he ever told him something like, hey, let me just give you some advice. If God says do something, don't argue. Don't argue with him. He's God. I've learned that throughout my life. And so Joshua doesn't argue. He just, if you read on the text, he goes and does what God tells him to do. So I want you to see four things out of this passage, and we'll wrap up in a minute. Four things. How do we become people of courage? Firstly, remember our mission. God puts before Joshua, here's the mission, here's what I'm calling you to do. And the mission was to take the land, the new land, right? The promised land. Our mission, of course, here is to be on mission with the gospel. And for many of us in our world today, comfort rules us. We are ruled by comfort. We don't do anything uncomfortable. If we sense in ourselves any kind of fear, anxiety, or something in us welling up, we just go, I just don't think that's God's will. You ever said that out of fear? It's not God's will because I'm fearful is really what you're saying. (laughs) There's really um, four kinds of churches. I read this somewhere this week. There's four kinds of churches. The first is a museum church. This is a church where it's just a museum piece. It's, it's what you see in New York, in Europe. It's, it's just, they're empty, but they're beautiful buildings, right? It's a museum. There's the maintenance church. That is, their mission is just to survive. We just got to keep everything together, and we're just trying to hang on till the end. There's ministry church, which caters to the church crowd. Let's have lots of really cool programs for the church people. You might call it country club Christianity. And then lastly, there's the mission church. I want to be a mission church. I think God wants us to be a mission church. This is where discipleship is happening, and and, and new disciples are coming to know Jesus. And I want to be a mission church. A church that lives on mission is never going to be a place of comfort. Never be a place where you, you know, yeah, I just, they really just kind of cater to my needs. Not that kind of place. And when you remember the mission, it will cause courage to rise up in you. So remember the mission. Secondly, remember God's Word. It's in this text. Look how closely God links success with His Word. They're to know it. They're to meditate on it. If we're not a student of God's word, we are of no use to his kingdom. 
And I know in high school, it's really tempting to be like, no, I'm used to his kingdom. I, I volunteer for stuff, and I, um, I go on trips, and I do impact, and I do all these things. And this is the age where you can get heavily involved in activity, but still be of no use to his kingdom because you aren't in his word. And all the things you're doing are not coming from a place of, of love for God and love for his word. It's because all your friends are doing those things. Why are you doing those things? So remember his word. If you don't, if you don't know it, meditate on it, live your life by it, eventually you're going to crack. May not be this year. Maybe freshman year of college, sophomore, maybe young adulthood. But eventually you will crack if it's not um, something that's part of your life in a deep way. D.L. Moody once said, I've never found a useful Christian who wasn't a student of the Bible. There are no useful Christians who also aren't students of God's Word. And I know we always say things like, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't like to read. I mean, I'm like, this thing, you ever read this thing, right? I read it all the time. I don't mean like my Bible app. I mean, I read the phone all the time. And so we, we do read. We just don't like certain kinds of, of reading, right? So we see in this text, success is always tied deeply to truth. And then um, remember our unity, third point. Unity may not be a theme that's evident, like jump off the page in the passage. If you read on in this passage, you can see it. Um, unity is not uniformity, okay? You might be thinking in the church that we are pushing uniformity, like everyone needs to talk this way and act this way and be this way. And yeah, there's certain elements to that, I guess. But the church should push unity, not uniformity. Okay? Starbucks pushes some uniformity. They try to get you to say things that I don't want to say. Like, they're going to make me say that the, the size is tall, grande, or venti. I'm like, I'm saying small, medium, large. I'm going to say small, medium, and large. That's what it is. Those three words all sound like big to me. Tall, venti, grande. So they try to push uniformity. The church should push unity around the mission of God, not uniformity. In fact, in, um, when you realize that we're in this together as a people, you will find courage rising up in you. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good works. When we are in this together, we get stirred up. So you realize that unity is what causes courage to rise up in you. And then fourthly, remember God's presence. Remember his presence. When someone gets called to do something in the Bible, God says he will be with them. It's the last thing Jesus said to his disciples as he left the earth. I will, be, I will send someone. He said, I'm going to send someone to help you, and we will be with you. It's what God tells Joshua here. God promises his presence with people that he calls to do certain things. In this room, God is calling some of you to do some things. He's with you. He's with you. 
This brings us back to courage. What is courage? Courage does not mean that you're not scared. Courage does not mean that you're not fearful. Why do you think God says be strong and courageous? Because he knows they're scared and they're fearful. I mean, Joshua has to step into Moses' sandals. He's got to fill Moses. And you know the people are going to look at him like, you're not Moses. He's fearful. God knows he's fearful. So he's calling Joshua to fill his, his role, Moses' role. And this last quote, I want you to read this last quote from Philip Brooks. It says, don't ask for tasks equal to your powers, but ask for powers equal to your tasks. And as we think about courage and fear throughout this series, I want to be thinking about um, the things that God, and I'm not trying to make some statement about like, you know, you um, can discern God's will because you saw some sign. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about just there are things of conviction that God is calling many of you to do that you know you're called to do, and you're saying no out of fear. And for some of you, God's calling you to step into a relationship with him. And out of fear, you're like, I don't want to be associated with those Christians. That's just that's weird. I don't want to do that. And so maybe for some of you in this room, God's calling you to, to faith in himself and to become a Christian and begin following him, and yet you're saying no out of fear. And so my invitation to you is, is don't let fear be the thing that keeps you from a relationship with Jesus. And for some of you, you're, you're a believer, but you're, you're just in this, you're, you're hemmed in, you're penned in because you're, you're so afraid of what God might ask you to do. And I'll leave you with this idea. Fear is an opportunity for faith. If there is no fear, then there is no faith. Don't ever let fear dictate your decisions. If you say no out of fear, there's no chance for faith. Let's pray. God, we're grateful and thankful that you put these words, an ancient text, an ancient story, in front of us so that we can know them, live them, live our life by them. We pray, God, that if you're, as you're doing your work in us because of your word throughout this series, that um, we would allow you to give us courage. We know that courage is not, does not mean we're not fearful. But help us, God, to know um, that you're with us. Help us to know that we need unity, that we need to understand the mission, which is to reach this city with the gospel for your kingdom. Help us to know it, help us to live it out, and help us to have courage in the midst of our fears. We pray this in your name. Amen. We don't have discussion because I knew I'd go along today, so you guys are dismissed. We'll see you on Wednesday.